0: if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. We'll be reading the entirety of chapter 26 of Jeremiah. And I'll be reading out the New King James Version, as is my custom, Jeremiah chapter 26. You have it there. God's Word declares, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command you to speak to them do not diminish a word. Perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way that I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord... If you will not listen to me to walk in my law, which I have said before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not heeded, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words, in the house of the Lord. Now it happened, when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking, all the Lord had commanded to, be, to speak to all the people, That the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him, saying, You will surely die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the princes of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. And the priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and all the people, saying, This man deserves to die, for he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the princes and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city with all the words that you have heard. Now therefore amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. As for me... Here I am in your hand. Do with me as seems good and proper to you. But know for certain that if you put me to death, you will surely bring innocent blood on yourselves, on this city and on its inhabitants. For truly, the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. So the princes and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, This man does not deserve to die, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then certain of the elders of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah of Morsheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts Zion shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountain of the temple lay like the bare hills of the forest. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all uh, Judah ever put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against them. But we are doing a great evil against ourselves. Now there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah the son of Shemaiah, of Kirjath-Jarim, who prophesied against this city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim the king with all his mighty men and all the princes heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, he was afraid and fled and went to Egypt. Then Jehoiakim the king sent men to Egypt, El-Nathan, the son of Achbor, and other men who went with him to Egypt. And they brought Uriah from Egypt and brought him to Jehoiakim the king, who killed him with the sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. Nevertheless, the hand of Ahaika, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah. So they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. Well, we begin a section of Jeremiah. Well, we've really been into it now where we have talked about his changing theme. We're really going to look into a few chapters this week and next week. Uh, We are going to handle two chapters next week, so these three chapters are really going to tie together some of the uh, things that Jeremiah experienced at the hands of his fellow people, um, both prophets, priests. We're going to talk about all the people, the princes. We're going to see a false prophet, um, and we're going to finally see him when we get to chapter 29 in three weeks addressing (laughs) those that are in captivity more directly. But we have here a a, uh, picture and a presentation of what was happening uh, in Jeremiah's life in response uh, to God's commands for him to speak his truth to the people of Israel. And we think, well, that would be exciting. That would be so exciting to have God come and tell me Um, directly, what he is going to do, his purposes, his plans, and to have this commission to go out and share this with others. Um, Well, we do, actually. (laughs) God has done just that. He has done that since Acts 1.8. He does that today. He has sent his Son. He has come to earth. He has communicated his truth to us. We have it before us in his word, and he has commissioned us to go out into the world and to share that Message. So, in many respects, we are little Jeremiah's. We are here in our modern world with the same uh, requirement of God that we be his emissaries to a lost and dying world. A world that's in deep trouble and a world that is on the cusp of experiencing God's wrath. And that's who Jeremiah was sent to. Um, And we're going to look at, uh, again, somewhat of that message. But what we really want to look at in what is revealed in this chapter and then put into practice um, and I think that's one of the real values of this chapter is we not only see a declaration by God in terms of how he functions, but we're also going to see it played out right away in the circumstances of the event that Jeremiah is called to perform. And uh, this is one of my favorite passages to go to to challenge people who want to say that once God has set his purposes in place, that he, they are established, that is, that they're unchangeable. Uh, and really, when we talk about the immutability of God, that is, that God doesn't change, and we sing about that, uh, we are not really singing about that idea. And some have robbed us of immutability of God and said, well, he can't change his mind because that's change and that's that's mute, muting, mutating. And so they have robbed him. What what is immutable about God is that he doesn't change the principles and promises that he functions under. That's what we mean by immutability. That he does he's not fickle, that he's not just gonna go one direction and all of a sudden, uh, oh, I don't like that, I'm gonna do this now. Um, he didn't he didn't just decide that he was going to change and call a guy, Abram, out of Ur of the Chaldeans um, and establish the people Israel through one of his grandsons. Um, That was in keeping with the principles of God. Um, We don't know how many people he really might have offered that to outside of Abraham. But Abram took him up on it. And said, okay, I'll leave the land of my father's, and I'll just pack up, and I'll go, and I'll go somewhere, and I'm going to wait on you to show me where. And and God, in a responsive relationship with Abram, um, led him. Abram followed. God gave a command. Abram obeyed. God blessed. God promised. And we have this relationship established, and it is uh, consistent with the person and character and practices of God. They don't change. That doesn't mean that everything that God has, has, let me back this up, it doesn't mean that God has determined everything before he even created one thing and that nothing can change, that there is not a determinism in here, but rather the immutability of God is about the principles and the character of who he is. And this we're going to see played out strongly in this chapter. And again, it's one of my favorite chapters to counteract those who claim that there is a decree of God. And once the decree of God is set, that no act of man or nature can change it. But that's simply not the case. And throughout all of Scripture, we see over and over and over and over again, example after example, um, where God does respond to men who change who repent, who turn, or who stubbornly resist and persist in sin, that God responds to that. But what's interesting in this passage is that God himself declares what the principle is. Within the context of the message that we're going to give to the Israelites of the day, um, there in Jerusalem, God is going to declare this is the principle I live by, and it doesn't change. And there is such a solidness, there is such an encouragement there that um, God isn't going to change the rules. It is always going to be on this premise that God relates with man. And we're going to see some very important words here that you might say, I don't think God's allowed to use those words. (laughs) Well, if you're a strong Calvinist, you're right. Your God is not allowed to use these words, but the God of the Scriptures is and does. Not only um, in some anthropological way that he's just doing it for our benefit to our ears in some, as a metaphor or something, but, but he tells the truth and he's honest and forthright, especially with his people through his prophets. He's not going to sit there and, and blindside us with, with words that he doesn't mean. These are words that God uses, and he means what they say. And rather than seeing this as something that that, uh, we have to explain away, it is well time that we just accepted them, acknowledged them, and say, yes, it's okay for God to use those kinds of words. And we're going to look at those this morning with his help. And before we do so, let's ask for it. Lord God, we do thank you for your word before us and your spirit within us. And we do pray for your help. That we might see the simplicity and the power of your words. That we might recognize that the problem was then, is now, has always been that men have not wanted to listen. It wasn't that they could not understand it. It was not that it was too difficult or too complicated, but it's simply that we have stiffened ourselves against it. And so, Lord, we pray for a different spirit in this room. We pray that we might be tender-hearted, that we might be receptive, that we might be careful listeners to your truth and ready to respond in a proper way, knowing how consistently you have functioned throughout history and that you can be relied upon for you are faithful. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness tied into your, your character. Lord, we rejoice in it. We know that therein is our hope. Therein is salvation. But we also know that within that same character, within that same consistency and faithfulness, therein must be fair judgment. And so, Lord, we are well-warned as well as encouraged and taught by your faithfulness. And we pray you might guide us into it today. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we go. We have early on in the ministry of Jeremiah, it says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord to Jeremiah. So we're kind of backing up a little bit. Next week we're going to take an example, stretching much farther in the future, another King later Zedekiah, and uh, we're going to have to deal with some things then. If you're coming on Sunday nights, you're going to have no problem with next week. And we we'll get to the next chapter, but if you haven't been, you might struggle next week. But we'll we'll get there. And so we have a couple of examples of Jeremiah's interaction with his peers, priests, prophets, people, princes. They're all going to be here. Um, and, and we're going to have Jeremiah interacting with them. And what we're going to find in this case, as well as next week, in the next two chapters, uh, how do the people respond to God's word in a positive way? And in the midst of this, we're going to see obviously some very strong negatives, but we're also going to be a little encouraged that somewhere along the line, somebody said, we're being stupid. And it's about time somebody said that to the people of Israel Uh, It was a little bit too little and too late uh, to really help them too much because they were still stubborn in their rebellion. But we come to this time period, and we're still at least one king away from the complete demise of Judah. And but remember that by this time um, Nebuchadnezzar had already shown up on the scene, and so Jehoiakim is placed there. Zedekiah, his his uncle, is going to be placed in his stead because he's going to rebel. Uh, Zedekiah is going to rebel, and then Jer- ba- Babylon just going to say enough. And we're done with kings. But Jehoiakim is there, and, and we're going to find a little bit of his history here in this chapter. And so here the Lord appears to Jeremiah and says, I'm going to send you now, not into the fields, not into the... And I want you to go right into my very house. You're going right into the temple. You're going directly in there into the core of of uh, Israeli worship, of the worship there in Jerusalem. I want you to go right into the Lord's house and I want you to go and the indication is this is probably around Passover. And the reason is because it says that all the people are coming into the city at this time. And so it's likely at one of the key holidays where all the people would have made pilgrimage to get to the temple because he says that, that you're going to have them coming from all over, They're going to be coming in. It says that you're going to speak to all the cities of Judah which come to worship the Lord's house. All the words that I command you to speak to them do not diminish a word. So he has this commission. You're going to have to speak every single word. And yes, every word God shares is important. And I love this part when everybody wants to start parsing out and cutting out words that God uses in this text. Um, because they have issue with them, because they don't fit your preconceived ideas and notions. Um, and I love the very first word in our English, um, and I recognize the syntax is a little different in Hebrew and, and that we're dealing with a translation. I understand that. Uh, I don't need to be educated there. But for our benefit, for use in the sermon today, the first word we encounter is, a, is when we have struggle with God using. God says, perhaps. Does that bug you? God says, maybe. Perhaps. And maybe you don't know the root of the word perhaps. Um, Per, meaning each. Haps is an abbreviation of the word happenings. So, for each happening, perhaps, um, something can happen. Something conditional can occur. And so, here is God laying out his principle that said, depending upon what happens, that's what perhaps means, depending upon what happens, maybe, possibly, some things could occur. I have not set this all in stone that cannot be undone. It is dependent upon what happens when you go into the temple and you start talking, you speak the word of the Lord, uh, perhaps something can occur. There's a possibility here of a variety of outcomes. And if you have a trouble with God using this term, I really want to challenge you to look through more carefully the balance of Scripture and see how many times God lays out a choice to men and said, if you do this, here's what's going to happen, and if you do this, here's what's going to happen. And God has consistently done that. He calls us to obedience with an understanding not that he will force us to obey, that is never, in God's word, his desire. Rather, he calls... All men everywhere to repentance. He calls us all to belief. He calls us all to obedience. He calls all men to that. And then he waits for the haps. (laughs) He waits for what happens. God depends, waits upon us? Yes. He is a responsive person. In a relationship, um, if you claim a relationship, and God claims a relationship with us, he is the creator. We are his creatures. Many of us deny a relationship with him. We deny that fact. We want to reject that. Um, but God claims it. And so he comes and he gives this message. And here the people of Israel are called by his name, Israel. Israel is the name of God. Um, here in Judah and Jerusalem, uh, we have the people that are call themselves the priests of God, the prophets of God, the people of God, Um they claim this relationship with him, and so God engages them. There is a movement, and a relationship that is stagnated is no relationship. And whenever I do premarital counseling and things like, that, I talk about, we're going to have to learn how to communicate, which means you're going to have to learn not just to make sure the other person hears what you have to say, but more importantly that you are listening. You learn to listen; that is the key to our part in a relationship because we all seem to be capable of uh, wanting other people to know what we think. The the hardest problem for humanity is listening to what someone else has to say, which is why it's phenomenal that you sit here for like an hour and listen to me. Um, It's amazing every Sunday that you do that. Um, But this is the problem. God isn't the one that doesn't want a relationship. It is we that resist and don't want to listen when God says, so we start off with this word, perhaps. God is declaring that the outcome is not set in stone. The outcome is dependent not upon Him and His purposes, but the outcome is dependent upon you and your listening and obeying. And so He makes this declaration to Jeremiah. He's supposed to go out and stand in the, into uh, the, the, place of worship, the house of the Lord, and not leave out a single word, not even these really strange words. Perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way, that I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. And so God has shared with Jeremiah his intent. Why am I being sent out? Why is God sending us out to the world with the gospel? Why? What's its purpose? This is the exact purpose that God has today for our ministry. Perhaps, and I love the inclusiveness, everyone will listen. <laughs> Isn't God great? He wants everyone to come in repentance. God says maybe everyone's going to listen. It could happen. Oh, God knows it's not going to happen. But maybe it will. God has not set that. He has not established that. That is not in his decree that certain people will listen and certain people won't listen. It is not in the purposes of God. That is not what the purposes of God mean. Well, I have to do this because God determined this before I was even born. No. 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 That is a lie. And it defames God and makes him less than who he is. No, God's principle is very clearly declared to Jeremiah. God wants everyone to listen and repent. That's what I want to happen. God wants everyone to listen and everyone to turn from his evil way so that everyone can be saved. That is the purpose of God. The, the alternative is the calamity that he has purposed. Now, why is he purposes calamity? Is because in eternity past he decided that during the reign of Jehoiakim that he was going to send Babylon in and destroy it. No. He has purpose to do this because he is responding to their disobedience because they have followed after the ways of the Queen of Heaven. They have followed after the way of Baal. They have followed after all of the wickedness that is in their own evil heart to do. Because of their condition and their rejection of his truth and his prophets, because of their rebellion, he has determined, purposed, Bring calamity on them. This was not from eternity past, other than the principle was from eternity past. If you follow me, I'll bless you. If you rebel against me, I will judge you. That principle will not ever change. This is how God functions. So He is unchanging in His principle. But to then put in the mind of God that He had determined that on such and such a date, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and do this to these people is not true. If it is, then God lied here to Jeremiah. He told a falsehood. He said there is a way to avoid the inevitable. Isn't that great? That is a great statement. Yes, I have purpose built upon my principles that I'm going to send calamity upon these people as a way of judgment because of what they have done, not because of what I determined in eternity past. But I am responding to their rebellion. I have tried and tried and tried, and now you're basically one of my last-ditch efforts to get everyone to listen and turn from his evil way. Notice, why did God purpose to bring on them calamity? Because of the evil of their doings. This is a responsive God. He is mobile. He is agile. This is not a set-in-stone, slawing along, God, that you cannot engage. Don't you love the attitude of Moses? To say, now, God, I know you really want to kill them all. (laughs) Start over with me. But they really wouldn't look good. Don't you love that attitude? Does that sound like Moses thought God was set in stone and never moved? No, he recognized that God is responsive. He can be reasoned with. He can be engaged. He he wants to do good, and he was waiting for us to respond and give him an excuse to do it. And what is the excuse we give him? We obey, we seek out his purposes, we listen. (laughs) And here comes the message What are you going to say to him? And again, tied into very small words is the principle that God has openly declared in verse three. He has stated it out. This is why. This is what I hope. And God has hopes. God hopes certain things happen. He has not determined them to happen. And we can get into talking about foreknowledge and does foreknowledge equal foredetermination? It does not. Verse 4, thus says the Lord, If you will not listen to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servants the prophets whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not heeded, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. That's it. Wouldn't you love me to come up with a three-verse sermon? Probability is that he said this over and over again to everybody coming in. It was a repetitive statement that he kept making over and over again until everybody heard it. That was his job. To persist in it and just walk and to say this. Now I want you to notice something. This isn't a very powerful statement. It starts off with the word if. That's a conditional clause. The condition is, if you continue the way you are going, then horrible things are going to happen to this city and to this temple mount. If you persist, and nobody listened to the if, that little word at the beginning, in English, nobody listened to. They did not listen to the if. And how do we know that they didn't listen to it at all? They didn't hear it. It didn't penetrate most of their ears because of how they responded He's prophesying against the Temple Mount. He's prophesying against Jerusalem. Let's get him and kill him. The prophets, the priests, the people grab him together. They're ready to tear him apart. They're ready to kill this prophet. Um, And really only the intervention in verse 10 of the princes of Judah kept it from happening. And their question is, why have you prophesied to the Lord against this house? Uh, And they repeat his words. How can they do that? And so they're saying, you're going to die. We're going to kill you because you prophesied against them. But they didn't hear the first word. The first word made it very clear that it was not Jeremiah that was going to cause this. It really wasn't even God that was going to be the first cause of this. What's the first cause of the prophecy? It's them. Their choices. Your choices Move God's hand, either for or against you. It is that simple, and it still is. God hasn't changed. The principles are the same. The principles of the gospel are the exact same as the principles Jeremiah preached there. If you will listen, then I will relent. If you persist in your rebellion against me, then judgment is all there is for you desolation. Look at some of the terms he uses here. He he has three descriptions. First of all, I'm going to make this house like Shiloh. And if you're wondering, why is it like Shiloh? Shiloh was the northern tribes. They'd already gone into captivity. They were destroyed by the Assyrians. And Shiloh was their place of worship of God, the God of Israel. They worshipped um, in other places, Baal and, and the high places in Dan, but at Shiloh is where the, the uh, faithful, if you will, the unfaithful faithful, the ones that still wanted to worship God but didn't want to travel to Jerusalem because it was in the, the kingdoms were divided, they went to Shiloh, and, guy, and Jeremiah says, you're going to be like Shiloh, and Shiloh is just leveled, decimated by the Assyrians. So when he says you're going to be like Shiloh, don't think that you can go there and worship God and say we're protected because we're worshiping God because that's what they said a few years back up in Israel about Shiloh and it's gone. It's overrun by the Assyrians. So you're going to be like that. Jerusalem's going to be like Shiloh. He goes on and says, um, not only that, but uh, it's going to be a curse to all the nations of the earth. We find that curse in a few other places and it's fascinating how the nations of the earth understood the reason that happened in Jerusalem is because they rebelled against their God. They cursed the people of Jerusalem because they knew that they rebelled against their own God. Unheard of, unthinkable. And so we find this description and, and the desolation, the emptiness is all going to be described for us a little bit later on and, and pressed later as well. And so we find them responding and they left out the if, the conditional clause that was made themselves the issue, the dependent issue was not God. Because God's faithful and he doesn't change and the principle is the same. And so you can guarantee that from God. Um, if you're on the obedient side of believing, trusting, obeying, that you're going to have received the blessings of God. If you're on the disobedient side, you're going to receive the judgment. That part is set in stone. The principle is set in stone. Okay, that's, you can trust. Um, what side of that is up to you? It's not up to the prophet. The prophet can't make one or the other happen. You know the best proof of that? Jonah. I'm pretty sure Jonah wanted Nineveh to be wiped out. <laughs> I mean, that's a prophet that's going to go out and preach, God's going to destroy all you, and he had a big smile on his face. Except that he knew how God worked. That's why he didn't want to go. Because the worst thing that could happen in Jonah's mind is that people are going to listen. And God's going to save that city and use them. Which is what happened. But the idea that God's going to destroy the see Jonah wanted to stick around and watch it happen. That's why he's sitting up on that hill. You got a few days, I'm going to sit up here and watch it happen. God's got an important lesson to teach him about compassion. But Jonah wanted it so the prophet can't make the judgment of God happen. And by the way, the prophet can't, by his own will, make it not happen. So when you come to the preacher and you say, pray for me so I don't have to live out the consequences of rebelling against God, uh, I can't stop that. You have set in motion some things that can only be repaired if you listen and repent. And then God can turn even misery into blessings. Joseph is the example that we would easily quickly draw from. Men doing evil, and yet God can make it good for the righteous. And that's exactly what we're going to find happening to Jeremiah here. So Jeremiah takes a stand. He doesn't leave the house of the Lord. Um, He's going to keep declaring this. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't shirk from it. And he stands, unafraid. Wow, what a guy. He is not moving. Because the Lord didn't tell him to move we're going to have an example of the alternative at the end of the chapter. And let's discuss that a little bit real quick. At the end of the chapter, they're going to give two examples. The prince, the elders of the people are going to remember um, a guy that we have an Old Testament book named after Micah. Um, <clears throat> they're going to remember him and his relationship with Hezekiah. But there's also another guy down here called Uriah And no, there are no books of the Bible by the name of Uriah, the son of Shemaiah, <clears throat> he prophesied the same thing that Jeremiah did in the same period. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah. <clears throat> and it may even have been that Jeremiah was his replacement. Just possible. doesn't say that, but it, it did happen just prior to Jeremiah doing this. And this man came with the same message against Jerusalem and the people, the king heard at that time and the king didn't like what he had to hear and then something happened to your eyes. Different than Jeremiah. Jeremiah's gonna stand. He's gonna say, you wanna kill me, kill me. You're shedding innocent blood. It doesn't gonna change anything. You can destroy the messenger. It doesn't change the message and it doesn't show that you are responding to God at all. In fact, it Confirms that you're going to have the calamity that he has already purposed to put on you. Jeremiah stands firmly on his message and doesn't waver from it. Doesn't run away from it. God didn't tell him to. He said, "You go there and you kiss, preach it." Euziah says when there was opposition, <clears throat> and the king wanted to put him uh, to uh, put wanted to oppose, put him to death in verse 21. Joy came the king, with all his mighty men. All the princes heard his words. The king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, he was afraid and fled and went to Egypt. And there's nothing worse than a prophet running away when he's told to stand. By the way, sometimes prophets were told by God to run away. Elijah's a great example, right? You go up, you tell this to the king, you march right in there, you look right at the king and say, it's not going to rain here because of you worshiping Baal. And then God says, run. (laughs) Okay? And when God tells you to run, you run! Go, and he tells him exactly where to run to. So it's not, it's the whole idea of the fear. It's not the fleeing away. God didn't tell him to flee. He was afraid of men instead of fearing God. And it was disaster for this prophet. But he had the same message, but he died. And we can't help but wonder if it was not out of Because he's afraid and ran when he was told to stand. And so it is. We are called to stand. And and we have nothing to fear. We don't fear death. We don't fear what men can do to us. We are called to stand. And and if there's one thing you keep finding in the the New Testament, especially when you get down to the end times, what what is the repeated statement made by Paul and Peter and others? Stand. Stand. Take your stand and hold your ground. God will take care of it. And if you die in the midst of that, you'll be in a blessed position in heaven, uh, right by the throne of God, it says. Right under the throne of God, you'll be there. Uh, But stand. Stand fast. Don't move. Don't back up. Don't run away. Face it. God will honor that. Well, Jeremiah does it. He stands and He's about to be killed. And then here comes the intervention. We send down some of the princes, and the princes go, Hey, what's going on here? You know, we want to know what's going on. So they tell him what's going on. Jeremiah says, Here's what I said. And he repeats the message, says, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house, against the city with all the words you have heard. Now therefore amend your ways, your doings, and obey the voice of the Lord. Then the Lord relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. And there is the heart of what he heard before he sent his message. Now he declares, listen, God didn't send me here to make to ruin your day. <laughs> he didn't send me here to get you mad, to kill me, and add to your sin. He sent me here so that you could amend your ways and that he can change his purpose. He can change his mind. And you can do it. You can make it happen. You can change God's mind. Not the principles that God is is basing it on. That principle doesn't change. But it's implementation. You can go from one side of that principle to the other side of that principle simply by repenting and asking God to be your God and to serve him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength that's what I wanted, and he shares that. What is the purpose? In verse 13, we have really a repetition uh, for, the base, for, the, for the benefit of the hearers of what Jeremiah heard directly from God before he got commissioned. And so, the princes hear this, they say, well, this guy doesn't deserve to die. He just wants us to do right. He just wants us to get right with God. And then come the elders who say, you know, this isn't unprecedented. And I just want to share with you that you have a lot more history to look at than these guys, and it's not unprecedented how God's worked. What God offers you today has been proven over the centuries has happened. The worst of sinners, some of the most hideous people around, have repented and been saved and received the blessings of God. Some of the most self righteous people that you think are godly have been rejected by God and destroyed. Because they were in rebellion, rely on themselves instead of God. But these people have a recent history to talk about. Recent. Yeah, that guy Micah. I was still alive. The elders, old guys. One of the old guys says, Yeah, I remember back when Hezekiah was king. You know, kind of like when I talk about, you know, when Nixon was president. Okay, I was still alive. I was alive when Kennedy was president. So, ugh, scary stuff. I don't even want to talk about how long John Bailey's, or John Bailey, John Roberts has been alive, how many presidents he's been back to. So, go ahead, tell us. FDR. FDR. <laughs> okay whole different world back then. Um, that's easy because FDR like served like, I don't know, 28 years or something as president. So no, it wasn't that bad. But 12, right? Didn't he get 12 years? Although the last term, I really think I was our first female president was his wife. Pretty much. Four times? So 16 years. Somewhere in there. Anyway, I remember when Hezekiah was king. And this guy Micah came up and said, you better repent or God's going to destroy this place. And here come the Assyrians down out of the north and they have the place surrounded. And guess what Hezekiah, did he kill Micah? No, Hezekiah didn't kill Micah. He got on his knees and begged God's forgiveness and had the whole city go into repentance. And the Assyrians disappeared. God relented of what Micah prophesied. You see, the problem is not a fickle God that wants to destroy some and wants to save others. That is not the conditional element. The conditional element is not the election of God in eternity past. The conditional element of your deliverance is you, not God and not the prophet. It's you. Am I going to obey? Am I going to listen? Am I going to repent? Am I going to respond? And if I don't do that, then I'm going to get what I have due to me based upon the faithfulness of God as a righteous judge as well as a loving Savior. And that's what we have playing out here. And the elders go, oh yeah, maybe we should maybe learn our lesson from our forefather. I think Hezekiah we avoided the whole thing right there in the Assyrians i mean there was 100,000 of, of them out there gone because hezekiah listened humbled himself repented and led the na- the city in that act of repentance so they said did hezekiah put the prophet to death no he feared the lord sought the lord's favor and the lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against them but we are doing a great evil against ourselves. And this last declaration of the elders of of Israel is so powerful. Rejecting the messenger and the message does no injury to the messenger, even if you kill him. When we go out with the gospel to people and they reject it and they I'm not talking anymore, I'm not gonna, you're not invited to anything anymore, Um, you're not my friend anymore, because all you keep telling me is I need to repent, and I'm tired of hearing that, why don't you just keep your Jesus stuff to yourself, Um, you're gonna lose your job, your position here, if you keep this up, on 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 goes, and they think that they can do injury to us, but the fact is, is that when men rebel against the messenger or the and the message, they're really doing injury to themselves. Because the message we carry is their only hope. It is their only means of deliverance. It is the only window of opportunity for them to avoid what is certainly on its way, and that is judgment. There is, really is a lake of fire, and it really will be filled with a lot of people who heard the message and laughed at it, rejected it, scorned it, hated those who sent it, and killed them. But they didn't injure them. The injury, the harm, was done to themselves. You want to reject what you hear from this pulpit, what you read in your Bible, and pick and choose what you like or don't like there, It does no harm to me. Jeremiah was obeying God. And in that condition, being unafraid and taking a stand and standing fast and saying, If you're going to kill me, kill me. But I'm not going to disobey. He could not be harmed by their hate. He could not be harmed by their rebellion. He could not be harmed by their rejection. Because God is approving of him. The only ones harmed are yourselves. And the elders of Israel said, we're doing great evil against ourselves. You would expect in this condition, you say, we're doing great evil against Jeremiah because we're getting ready to kill him. That's not what they said because they understood that they couldn't do any harm to Jeremiah because he's doing the work of the Lord. And if God is pleased with you, even if men kill you, you're still in a blessed state. No, we're doing injury to ourselves by rejecting it and not listening to him. And at least one very powerful person among that number, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan. Um, Maybe that was the elder that spoke. We don't know. But he is able to deliver Jeremiah completely out of their hand. And now Jeremiah is set free again. Um, And uh, by the way, this scene is almost going to be identically repeated later on, only instead of this argumentation, Jesus is going to, going to walk away. Same group of people, the leaders of Israel, prophets and priests, want to put Jesus to death for speaking some heretical thing, saying, I am. When Jesus says, I am the Father, before Abraham was, I am. When Jesus says those words, they're ready to kill him. Jesus walks away. He, they can't find him. they can't get their hands on him to do it. And the prophets and priests here have an opportunity to kill Jeremiah and God defends him through the means of the princes, through the means of the elders, and then through the means of this one individual. However, the mechanism God uses is promises that if you will be faithful in obedience, that you will be cared for by His hand. Jeremiah experiences this. And in the midst of this we have the principle of how God works, an unchangeable principle. God says, I want everyone to listen. I want you all as my children. I want you all to repent. And yes, God doesn't get what he wants. From my reading of the scriptures, seldom does God ever get almost anything he wants from us. And so God says, well, perhaps everyone will listen. There's his heart. He wants everyone as his child. It's a no-brainer. What gets in the way is our pride and our rebellion, our rejection, and we are the condition that brings about either his judgment or his blessing, and it is whether you will listen or whether you will not listen. And I'm not saying that there aren't a lot of influences. There's one group of people here I want to talk about, and it is the people. We talked about the prophets and the priests, the elders, and this one guy. But I want you to notice there was the mass. Call them a mob if you want. They were kind of turning into a mob. The prophets and priests had them stirred up like a mob, the princes come down, and I want you to notice this because it's encouraging, I think. Um, in verse 8, Jeremiah was done speaking what the Lord commanded to him, and it says to all the people that the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him, saying, You will surely die. So, all the people are caught up. They are led by the prophets and priests, and all the people are following their lead and saying, Yeah, Jeremiah should die. Yeah, that argument is sound. That's right. This is a very holy place. This is a precious place. Don't you, you know, and, and you know, we have our windmill there. Don't you ever knock it down. And, 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 sounds correct. There's always going to be people that are going to tell you what you like to hear, and you're going to think, Well, there are, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, we should kill this guy because this place is spectacular, Solomon built this place and it's precious and God would never, le- we should kill that guy. And now come the princes who have the other side of the argument. Proverbs says, one side sounds right until the other side is heard. And they come down. And I want you to notice verse 16. So verse Verse 7 and 8, all the people are with the prophets and priests to kill Jeremiah. By the time we get down to verse 16, so the princes and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, this man does not deserve to die. Which group which sides? All the people. And Jeremiah is delivered out of their hand. And a great wickedness is avoided. Prophets and the priests had their first influence. Drew the people started to migrate to where they were, and mobs do this. People, groups of people, without uh, hearing alternatives, without really investigating the fully, can be easily bent to one to the wrong place. Here come the princes. They say, wait, "Wait, wait, Let's just slow this down a little bit, and let's just think about this a little more in a court. Let's let the man have his." Speak. Let him talk. Let's hear him out. What's this really about? You need to repent. I'm here to try to save you, not to condemn you. Oh, well, you shouldn't have to die for that. And all the people go, yeah. Why should he have to die for trying to save us? (laughs) All the people that were just about ready to kill him because the prophets and priests made sense back then, and now the prince is making sense and it's the people that switch over and oh that we would have the wisdom to recognize that you're going to hear a lot of voices in your life and in our day and age of communication and media you hear a preponder propound that word of voices <laughs> yeah i'm older today so i can't remember preponderance there we go um uh, of voices. You hear all these sides. And I say, well, how do I know where to go? And I just call you that wisdom is of God. And I'm pretty sure the Bible says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But if you're going to ask of God wisdom, you better be prepared. Because don't ask of him wisdom when you don't want to listen to it and you don't want to obey it. All these people that have just switched sides, you say, all right, we got the masses on our side right now, are going to, many of them, be slaughtered by the Babylonians. Many of them are going to experience famine and pestilence and death. Most of the captives are already gone. They're already in Babylon, or they're about, some of these might be carried off to Babylon, the lucky ones. Not the lucky, but the righteous ones are going to be carried off. But most of these people, they're just fickle-minded. God's not the fickle one. They are. One minute they're influenced in this direction, another minute they're influenced in that direction. And you might say, well, they ended up in the story in the right camp. No, because that wasn't the end of the story. The end of the story is going to be in a couple of chapters, when Zedekiah rebels, and here comes Babylon for the third time. Here comes Nebuchadnezzar, and flattening that city out. That's where the story ends, really, for almost all of them, except for those that go off into captivity. So in your quest for the wisdom, for truth, and for what it is to live your life after, oh, that you would seek it from the word of God, and from the people of God from your from from your study of the scriptures from the Holy Spirit. But if you're going to seek it there, recognize that it demands something. It demands obedience. It demands your surrender to it because knowledge of it does not equal deliverance. You have to own it. Let it drive your life and direct your paths. Then it is yours. And then You will be on the blessed side of the principle by which God operates. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. And again, that love that warns us of a judgment to come, that we might escape it. And Lord, we can claim we don't understand why people reject that kind of love, but the fact is we... Ourselves sometimes do because we don't like it. We don't like conforming ourselves to your standard. We like our sin. We have pride and arrogance in our own ideas. And rebellion is in every one of our hearts. And so we do really understand it. And Lord, we pray that we might Be the Jeremiah's. Recognize your purposes and be completely obedient to the letter of what you have said and willing to die if that's what you call upon us to do to remain faithful to you who are always faithful. Help us, Lord, to put what we have learned today to practice in our life that we might have your hand for us May I see your hand of blessing and guidance in our lives, in our church, to your praise, that we might persist till your coming. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.